The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now today we are talking to the man who's leading a company looking to grab a bigger share of the global IoT devices market. We're talking about TZ Limited in terms of the company. Now this is a company that owns a range of proprietary smart locks. These are built with a, uh, its patented digital locking technology. So essentially it's allowing clients right around the world 24-7 access without the need for keys. Now this company, TZ Limited, is listed under the ticker code TZL, currently at the time of recording has a market cap of around $32 million. And to find out more, I'm joined by Mario Vecchio, CEO. Welcome, Mario. Thanks, Aurea. Nice to, to be on board. I have really been looking forward to chatting to you, Mario. You've had such an interesting career. You've founded a few businesses yourself with, with successful exits, I might add. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I guess that um, I've been in technology my whole life, my whole working life, I should say. And the good news is I understand technology. The bad news is that's all I know. Yeah, I'm definitely a a geek at heart and a nerd at heart and cut my teeth basically when I joined Cisco in the early 90s. That was a great learning experience of being able to be part of an organisation that was grown from when I joined about 500 people to... I think over 25,000 when I left. So it gives you a great experience of what to do, how to grow a business, how to scale, how to hire well, all of those 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 areas of understanding super high growth businesses. It was, it was a great experience. There were 500 people when you started there? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I'm 37 to be precise. Wow. Isn't that incredible? So you really did experience significant growth in, in you know, what is now one of the world's most famous companies. Yes, uh, it was uh, it was a good time to be at Cisco, and um, uh, yeah, the, the company really rocketed through the through the nineteen nineties, and, um, uh, and and so that was a great experience. And then I went on to run my own companies uh, after that. Uh, started a number of businesses, sold them, um, and and my last one, which was um, Progility, I started and. Over seven years, grew that to about 800 people, uh, just shy of 200 million in revenue and sold that to a PE firm in the UK. Um, so that, that was a great experience. Um, then I've done a couple of startups in Silicon Valley because I've spent my whole life in and out of Silicon Valley and been involved in two of those, one which we exited, the other one which uh, will exit shortly. Uh, so, yeah, that's been, it's been a great journey. And a lot of cha- a lot of a lot of change in that time. Let me tell you, over, over thirty years, it's been a been an interesting journey. Oh, I bet it has, especially in the in the sectors and the industries that you've been in, involved in over that period of time. Um, do you believe Mario, you're born with that entrepreneurial spirit, um, or do you think it's something that you've learnt along the way? Great question. Um, I, I do think you are born with it. Uh, I think it is part of your DNA. Uh, you know, I've had time to reflect on, on whys and wherefores and, you know, coming from an immigrant Italian family who left a broken down Sicily uh, back in the, the uh, late 40s after the war, 
uh, and I was born here, obviously, um, a 60s child, and um, uh, I think that that has an impact um, watching your parents who are basically factory workers and, you know, immigrants into a new country. So I think that helps as well. I think that 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 that, that thrive comes from upbringing as well as DNA. Mm, and I suppose within that you have your own um, drive to succeed, which is essential to for an entrepreneur to have. I mean, you know, not everybody has that drive. No. But I think specifically a lot of entrepreneurs do. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think the, the drive is in, inherent. It is in your DNA. And some people either, I suspect they either have it or they don't have it. Um, mm. Building it, resilience can be built, right? But mm. um, drive, I think, is, 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 is DNA-based. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about where you are now. So you've gone through this process of running your own businesses. Again, very successful exits. You just told us about uh, some of the businesses you founded and the ones you're currently still exiting now. Um, you spent a couple of years on the board of TZ uh, a year or so, a couple of years ago. Um, you believed when you left the board that you had unfinished business with the company. Um, is that what's brought you back today? And is this just a, a matter of timing, basically? It, it is a matter of timing. I did leave um, uh, the board only because I'd, I'd become completely consumed by the, the company that I was involved with. Um, but on, on my time at the board, I, I discovered during that 2018-19 period that they needed to learn a lot about. They, they had fantastic technology, fantastic locking technology. They were building software uh, because of customer requirements but they didn't really understand the value of the intellectual property they were building and what what the what they could do with that. So you know, I was doing some education of uh, what SaaS models they could use in their in their in their business. Um, got some models up for them, uh, which they started to deploy in, in eighteen and nineteen. And unfortunately, I had to I, I just got consumed with time, had to leave, and then. When I exited the, the my last startup, um, I went back to the board and said, "Look, this is unfinished business for me. I, I see a great potential for for this company. They've got blue chip customers. I mean, who would want to have the customers that TZ has? And that's a testament to um, uh, to their technology um, about how good their technology is and why some of the biggest technology companies in the world use them, like Apple and Microsoft and um, and uh, uh, Netflix and, and others, uh, uh, Cisco, Juniper, just to name a few, that, that use use their technology. So it's not easy to get your tech inside those companies. You've got to have something special in there to, to be able to do that. And so it is a testament to what, what they built over, over the journey. I think you have just hit the nail on the head. In fact, when I was looking at TZ Limited, um, I, I was you know, overwhelmed by the customers. You, you've just talked about the clients' names, Microsoft, Apple and Netflix, I mean, some of the biggest and most well-known companies in the world. And not only that, three of the, the companies that are at the forefront of innovation when it comes to technological innovation. You must have to work very, very hard to stay ahead of the curve, if that's the case. Uh, you do. You absolutely have to stay ahead of the curve. And um, uh, there's, there's no question about that. Having said that, um, there's very few people that, have the depth of technology that we have in our in our space. Um, uh, so because it's built been built over time, and um, so so from that perspective, uh, we do have a do have a good gap 
uh, in certain areas on our on our tech. Uh, having said that, we're not going to sit on our laurels. Um, we um, certainly are striving with with what we're doing with our next generation of, of software and uh, what our next generation of software looks like, what our next generation of architectures look like. So yeah, it's like software; it's never finished. Absolutely, I can I can only imagine. But I would imagine for TZ, you would spend a lot of money then on research, on technology, and on investment into that specific area. We, we certainly do. Uh, we're in the process of expanding that right now, and we've set up a center of excellence in India from a software development perspective. So we'll have a software development team in in Sydney. Uh, we've got a small team in the UK, and we're building a team out of India as well. And I've got good experience in India. I had 300 people report to me in India. So uh, it's a good place to do uh, to do development. And, um, yeah, we're in the process of expanding that right now. So expansion, international expansion is obviously clearly on your radar. Um, where do you see the biggest opportunities going forward? Well, right now around 60% of the company's revenue sits in the United States. Um, we open an office in the UK. Um, our APAC business is going strong. Our, I think we announced recently that our US business has grown at about 40%. But I still see that we're just touching the surface in all markets, right? Um, so we'll be adding more salespeople and more engineering support into the US uh, and expanding our territories in the US. We're also building some um, deeper alliances with other smart lock vendors to get us to, to more customers and more channels. So right now, uh, from a reality perspective, we're just literally touching the surface. And I often say to people, you know, uh, TZ's been around for a while, but in, in some cases they were ahead of their time mm-hmm. and, and, and the time is now for TZ and, and COVID has kind of shrunk that down. So the tailwinds that TZ have based on on what's happening with click and collect, what's happening with uh, workplace, you know, hybrid workplace where people are going to be working from home and working from the office, um, and what they need for flexibility inside office space, uh, what they need from a click and collect p- perspective, what's happening in e-commerce, has uh, all driven those categories, and what's happening with logistics and last mile services, uh, is is all can collapsed that into a very short time frame of change that was happening slowly, but now is is, is just ramped up and, and we're seeing the benefits of those tailwinds. So I think we're in the right place at the right time. Well, when you look at those kind of tailwinds, I mean, you know, if you look at innovation globally and in almost every single sector, you'll see the same thing. You'll see this, you know, incredible pace of change over the last 18 months, um, largely brought about by COVID. But in your perspective, are these changes that are relevant for TZ that you've just been talking about, are they here to stay or is there going to be a slowdown or a slowing down of, of the pace of change? No, I, I think they're here to stay. I think what they've done is they've changed behaviour, just as we're doing this call from your house to my house. Um, uh, so I, I think that our behaviour has changed. Well, e-commerce is completely mainstream. You know, people are very comfortable with doing that, and I don't think that's going to change. It's only going to continue to grow. How they get their last mile logistics done uh, is changed and will continue to change. How people use office space has changed forever. Um, and so, you know, we don't see any ratchet back to the good old days, if you want to call it that, 
uh, on, on how we did things. All that's done is escalated the, the, the pace of change that was happening anyway. And in fact, this is, uh, you know, you can almost see that that's your viewpoint by you took on the role mid-September. Yes, you did spend a couple of years on the board, so you know the company well um, prior to starting off or coming back as CEO, but you've come out of the gates with guns blazing. Um, I mean, you know, you're transitioning the focus from the physical access to, to the software solutions. You are turning this company more into a technology, simply a technology provider. Is, is, that, is that fair? Oh, yeah. We, we are a tech company and we are a software company. Uh, it doesn't mean we won't be making devices because we will, um, but it's, the value is all in the software and all in the workflow and, you know, we are back, backed up right now on demands from customers about building new features and functionalities into our software platform like we've never had before. And, and, and so that's a great position to be in um, when, when you're just uh, catering for the demand of your customers and the need of your customers to, to do different, different things that you haven't dreamt of before from a, um, a, a smart locking perspective. Uh, so it, it's really interesting to watch the market change rapidly. Well, what, what sort of things are your customers demanding of you at the moment? What, what do they want? Um, well, one of the things that we're seeing really fast change right now is this in, what I call industrial click and collect, and that is um, uh, industrial parts um, where suppliers uh, will just say to their customers, um, you can come and get your parts anytime, day or night, 24-7 from these locations around the world. And it's a B2B model where if someone's buying auto parts, you know, a car dealer's buying auto parts or a mechanic's buying auto parts, or uh, we did one for Westrack with Caterpillar uh, with its customers where Caterpillar users um, uh need parts on a regular basis, they can just do that from a click and collect basis. Obviously, it's got to be physical parts that a human can pick up. Um, it can't be large. When we think of Caterpillar, we think of big things. But um, So we're seeing this industrial click and collect uh, move very rapidly uh, where, where these big manufacturing companies are saying, um, we'll have your parts available in all these locations around the world um, and uh, you can come and you can order from our online app. Uh, our warehouse will ship it to wherever the, the closest location is, um, and you can come and collect it whenever you like. Uh, once they've, they've collected their items, they're billed, they're invoiced, all seamlessly, and we're completely embedded in that whole workflow process for those organisations. Uh, so we're, we're seeing that. Uh, the other one of interest is food services. And, and interestingly enough, the last mile is actually works very well for food services, um, where today you'll order Uber Eats or, or some other platform and the, the food gets delivered to you, assuming that the Uber guy hasn't eaten your food by the time he gets to you. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, but what happens is at the back end it's actually reasonably broken. And what I mean by that is that the Uber guy is still got to go into the to the to the uh, fast food chain. I'm talking about fast food here, not boutique restaurants. Um, and they've still got to go in there, collect the goods. Uh, sometimes they pick up the wrong items, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're doing is uh, we're, we're aligning ourselves with a, another uh, partner that will provide hot and cold storage facilities outside of these fast food restaurants. Um, 
where the Uber driver just shows up to to the outside facility, collects his cold food, collects his uh, hot food. Uh, there's no way he can get the wrong one because he's uh, scanning his QR code or <clears throat> or PIN number, and off he goes to collect that. The fast food chain also knows that the goods have been collected. There's no argument. But also what they get to know is that they've got other requirements, like has it been in there for longer than 15 minutes? Because if it's been in there for longer than 15 minutes, we've got to swap it out. Uh, all, all those type of benefits as well. It's just interesting to see what's happening with that that whole uh, whole sector of the market. So, we're, yeah, we're seeing these different use cases appear um, from, from all sorts of angles right at this point in time. What happens with the hardware side of the business then, Mario, if you are moving um, to the software as a service model? I mean, do you still have that fit-out hardware, the fit-out fulfilment side of the business? Basically, we still have hardware because we still have our devices and we still have our, all of our control boards that, uh, you know, we, have, we do have hardware uh, circuitry that we need. Um, uh, but we... Um, we uh, we we are partnering with people to do the fit outs and to manage the fit outs for the on the customer's behalf. So yeah, we, we are slowly but surely moving away from metal and wood um, from that fit out perspective. So you'll see that that we'll just continue to outsource that uh, where appropriate um, uh, around the world, and in many cases that transition is, is well and truly in place. Mario, you've recently recapitalised. You've strengthened the balance sheet. Uh, you recently raised close to $3.5 million to top up your cash reserves. What sort of shape are you in now financially? Um, yeah, so, um, you know, from six months ago or almost a year ago where we had $12 million of debt, we're now down to zero debt. And that not only is great for the balance sheet, but it's also created around another million dollars of free cash flow in um, interest payments uh, that we don't have to make anymore, uh, and so uh, you know we're, we're we're in really good shape. And because the efforts that we're putting in is in software, there's less capital required on uh, physical things to to keep in stock and, and and worry about where what your cash is doing on the shelf. So we're worrying less and less about those issues and spending less and less on that. And so therefore, the more that software that we sell. Obviously, the, the, the better that is from a, from a cash position for us. Mm. Now, just a final question for you, Mario. I saw a recent piece of media that you did where you said you'll grow the company's valuation five times over in the next couple of years. Is that realistic? Is that still your aim? Sorry, ask the question again. You've said you will grow the company's valuation five times over in the next couple oh, of years. Well, that that's an aspirational goal. And... <laughs> uh, and um, uh, but I think that, you know, um, I think from the value of the business to where it was when I joined uh, to the potential it has, was, was there was an opportunity there to take that opportunity. And, and as we scale, I think uh, as we scale out our software assets and, and, our, and grow our business, as I hope we do, then the the capitalisation of the business will look after itself. Mm. Uh, Mario, that is all we have time for, but what a pleasure it's been to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. And, of course, thanks also to all of our supporters. You are listening to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll see you next time. 
This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.